Brothers and sisters, if you have questions, please raise your hands. I'll bring the microphone to you. Is it possible for someone who has glimpsed the Dhamma, even a stream enterer, to lose contact with the Dhamma? Oh yes, that's quite possible. Even for stream enterer? Stream enterer has some realization, but not complete. So a stream enterer can uh, uh, lose their precepts, um, but uh, the quality of stream entry is they can acknowledge, ah, 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 thank you, I've lost it, and make and return. See? Because essentially the stream enterer hasn't, hasn't got rid of greed and hatred or passion or craving. But they've got rid of or they've eliminated the personality view. The personality view is gone. So in other words, they're not proud. They're not, they're not defensive. They're not justifying themselves. So the problem for many, can be for many people is they do unskillful things, but you, they don't acknowledge it because they say, I'm no... There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> so a stream enter is always someone who can be corrected. Um, but they can make mistakes. Definitely. In this case, um, it's not necessary that only the Buddhists will come to, I mean, arrive at this stage of uh, stream enter, right? But because this quality of steam entro is quite universal. The Buddhist world doesn't exist really. It's a, <laughs> uh, it's a convention. The Dhamma exists. The Dhamma is true. So the degree of what is necessary is certainly um, you know, faith, confidence in uh, what the Buddha is presenting in terms of uh, um, virtue um, and mindfulness. But it can be that you, you experience those qualities without having heard the teachings of the Buddha. You don't have to be a Buddhist not to kill people. But uh, the, and it depends really. The Buddha was very uh, thorough and skillful, uh, flawless teacher. So what he's presenting is the most secure, in my opinion, most secure and reliable way to cultivate the qualities of stream entry. And I don't know. The rest of it, what the rest of the world is about, I don't know. Why do you ask? Um, because uh, as a stream enterer, I mean in the scripture uh, or in the commentary, saying that um, you, you, it's like um, you have a less ill will, you have um, this, this greed is also reduced, and there are another three things, uh, the skeptical doubts, 
the wrong, uh, the observation of the wrong rites and rituals, and there's another one I've forgotten. So in, in these five criteria seems to be able to meet by any person, I mean, regardless is Buddhist or, or not. Well, you know, the stream entry essentially is the three fetters. And the first is Sakaya Ditti, which is the belief in being an independent um, entity, uh, a personality, the thing that makes us different. We take that to be the foundation of our lives, rather than the thing that makes us not different. So we take that which makes us different, different faces, different attitudes, different personalities, that becomes my reference point. That becomes what I take a stand on. That becomes what I take as most important. And that, 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 that's always going to cause division. Because there's only one like me. <laughs> but if you refer to the universal, this is the quality of goodwill. This is the quality of truthfulness. This is the quality of patience. There's no person in that. And those qualities are not copyright. Only the Buddha can have those qualities. They're universal. But, but, you know, to uh, develop and cultivate those qualities, you, you generally need an encouraging, strong teacher to bring them forth. Now, I don't know who else does that. Um, second, so it's a lot of, re- even religions are trying to make the person, you know, become one with God or something like that. But at a mystical level, the person is just um, a shell. The person is just uh, nothing special. It's the universal qualities are the important things. The second uh, feta is to do with not just rituals, lighting incense or praying, but everything that's automatic, systems and customs. So this means any kind of system and custom. could be um, even language is a system. Uh, it's a system. It's a series of sounds and words with a system, custom. Uh, people have different. Everybody is operating according to systems and customs. You know, like what, everybody goes to work at this time. Uh, every eats their meal at this time. You know, everybody's following some kind of ritual, system and custom. Um, and again, these are things we operate with. But really, in truth, there's no day or night. There's no Monday or Thursday. There's no. That's just, just the convention. We don't have to think, oh, this is Thursday, I have to do this. I can only do this on Sunday. It's six o'clock. There's no such thing as six o'clock. <laughs> That's just the convention. And when one gets attached to these things, then we live life like a robot, like a puppet, just moved along. So this is a considerable fetter. Even... Um, Beliefs and dogmas. Belief and dogma. You understand? Doctrines can also be part of that. Even meditation systems can be things we get attached to. This is the right way, I'm doing it right, he's wrong. 
And also you, the quality of these always separates us. So even to call yourself a Buddhist is, is tricky. It, you know, because it's, it's a good system, but it's a system. You say, well, actually, there are no Buddhists, <laughs> really. There's, there's Dhamma practice. And we can call ourselves Buddhists because you have to write something on a government form, you know. <laughs> and people know, oh, this is the label. It probably means they're good people. But we also understand this is also just a system and a custom that has to be seen as when does it become useful and when does it become something where we quarrel or who's better Buddhists or Christians a Mahayana or Theravada this system you know and then which system of meditation this practice or that we, do we do Mahasi Sayadaw or Ajahn Chah or Upandita or Tejaneer or Zen it just you know and then people get so stuck in those things you see well the Buddha didn't teach any of that he said, purify the heart. <laughs> Is there a system for that? So attachment to systems and customs sets us apart. And then we find there's comparison and conflict. There's no liberation where there's comparison and conflict. There's no ending of suffering when there's comparison and conflict. There's no ending of stress when there's superior and inferior. Where there's men and women, there's no ending of it. It only ends when we come to let go of that, you know. There's a point at which these are relevant, they have their relevance, and a point at which it's irrelevant. And for liberation, you must realize the depth where these things that separate us no longer occur, because that is no suffering in that. There's no stress in that. There's no holding on in that. It, it, there's no, no need to hold it. It's there. And doubt, which is the final fetter, is just understand, you know, the lack of understanding. Where we don't really realize there's a place beyond thought and beyond attachment that you can rest in. And because of not knowing that, we're always creating something to hold on to, something to hold on to, something to name, something to claim, something to dispute. Because we haven't really understood there's a place where none of that need happen. Where that, where that doesn't happen, there's confidence. You think, your confidence. A confidence that isn't about being right. It's about having no right or wrong. <laughs> you see, this is true. It's like this. You don't have to have an opinion. Not, you know, so a lot of people are looking for the right opinion. You don't need an opinion. Sometimes you do, but for truth you don't need an opinion. You just need to know hmm, this is where the suffering stops, the stress stops, the pressure stops, the holding on stops, this is where it stops, this is where it happens, and this is what causes it to happen, and this is what causes it to cease. Now any system, any way you can do that, that's fine. <laughs> that to me is, is the Dhamma world. And uh, I don't know who's in it, Buddhists, Sufis, Jews, whatever, you know, if you can get there, good luck.
I can hear you. If you but you better bring it up. Yeah. Ah uh, yes, Lompo. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Uh, Lompo, in your Dharma talk today, you give some example of uh, of uh, yogi when they are meditating and how they would react. Uh, in our path, in our practice of the Dharma, we are always trying to get rid of our defilements because it's only by getting rid of our defilements that we are progressing. So uh, I'd like to talk about this defilement which Lompo has mentioned. You mentioned a few cases. Uh, you were saying that uh, uh, this yogi in the kuti uh, with the wind and then, uh, or oh, I'm so cold, and, uh, and uh, then suddenly he realized, oh, all others are like, are like me, without the blanket. Uh, then you also mentioned another case. Oh, why am I working so hard? He's having this. And then you say that, oh, all of us are also paid the same. Uh, I would gather that uh, in this type of approach, uh, it will appear that you, re- you have wisdom. You get the wisdom that it is all are the same, but it is your wisdom that you are greedy and you realize the greedy. So in that particular time, that greed defilement should, should uh, soften and go away. But uh, okay, we were also told that when we are meditating, we watch the rise and fall, rise and fall. Whenever something comes, a sankhara comes, we watch it. And if we are mindful, it will just go away. It should be impermanent. So the, the message I get is, when we have this defilement, to get rid of this defilement, we should watch it and see the impermanence of it, or should we acquire the wisdom that it is our greed of hatred and uh, of uh, greed or hatred or our delusion that makes us still get rid of this defilement? Thank you, Sandra. Well, it's a matter of just recognizing the pressure, stress, and uh, the stress of sankharas. <clears throat> and uh, knowing how to uh, cultivate your attention to see or to experience where they release, whether it's greed, hatred, whatever it's about. Um, sometimes you can't even find words for it you're not quite certain what it is but you can feel yourself pushing struggling or making something solid and therefore there's something is doing that Sankara is pushing something creating something making something and it's causing stress so this is where you need to uh, widen your attention often people just get fascinated by the defilements and then think about them and uh, 
make them personal. I have so many of these defilements. Well, that making a person out of it is another defilement. <laughs> so, so we just need to really to get down. To, so it's not just about watching. I think it's about feeling. Because the feeling, you can feel the sense of pressure, pushing, agitation. It's not just that it's an embodied experience. Um, so this is a little more direct. And then where do you experience the sense of letting go? That's how you practice. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. You see, you can experience a certain degree to experience just the flow of mind, like stuff is moving around. But have you noticed that, okay, you've watched that sense of worry or agitation, now it's passed away, things seem okay. And then maybe next day it happens again. Because the root of it hasn't been seen. You know, we've, we've, like you've seen, it's rather like we have a tree growing many leaves. And you pick some leaves off the tree. The next day the tree produces some more leaves. You pick more leaves off the tree. The tree produces some more leaves. Well, if you go deep enough, you just cut the tree down. <laughs> rather than just deal with all the details. Just go to the sense to, to understand dukkha. Not as this kind of, some, the, the sankara dukkha, the sankata dukkha. That is the dukkha of creating things. And even creating a person who shouldn't have suffering. Because we can often get that idea. You know, I've listened to all these Dhamma talks, I've been practicing for 20 years, I'm still getting caught up with aversion. Uh, therefore, I am a stupid person. And uh, so we create a person out of it. But essentially it's to recognize, no, the root hasn't yet been penetrated to. Just go deeper and quieter. This is what samadhi is about, going deeper and quieter till you almost feel the push. And the mind has to know that there's an alternative. There's a place you can go to where that stops. And it's often a matter of changing your attention so you're not just fascinated or worried about the defilement you also sense oh here's the non-defilement over here here's the place where it's quite cool ah. and so to know where there's the this is called giving appropriate attention to the place of non-ill will place of non-restlessness, place of non-greed. So it's not just stop the greed, it also means attend to the non-greed. So we often, this is why we practice breathing in and out. Breathing in and out has no aversion to it. So you feel yourself caught up with something, and then, oh, like this, and this. Breathing in and out, that is void and the mind can rest in that and begin to recognize here's where it feels spacious and open and we have an alternative then you drop the mental obsession because this kind of suffering is suffering we create it's not necessarily there it's not that I have a lot of defilements just that I'm addicted to creating them (laughs) 
they're not always there, just my mind is obsessed with creating them. Uh, and it doesn't need to. And it needs to know that it doesn't need to. Most of our defilements are really based upon trying to make ourselves feel more comfortable and steady and in control. That's what they're based upon. Trying to make life happier, more comfortable, more rich, more more in control, get rid of things I don't like, aversion, get hold of what I want, greed. The idea is that will make me happier. So our defilements are based upon wrong view and the wrong understanding. trying to make myself more comfortable and get rid of what's uncomfortable. That acts as a basis. If you go to a pl- you can find places in your experience which you don't, you don't have to make or do. When you don't have to make or do, then you can relax. And the relaxed, deeply relaxed citta is free from stress. and free from self. Please. Now, as a human being, even the Arahants or the Buddha cannot avoid a physical dukkha. It associated, for, for instance, like aging, sickening, and dying. All of us are subject to the same uh, physical dukkha. But then the difference is the Arahants and the Buddha, they have no mental dukkha. They have come to a stage where they can overcome all the physical dukkha. So as lay Buddhists, I think it's important for us to practice, to learn the Dharma and put in practice until we could um, slowly begin to overcome and reduce the mental dukkha. Would that be correct to say that? Yeah. And what would be your comments and how would you advise us to do that? Then? Well, yeah. <clears throat> Let me say mental, I don't... I mean, just cerebral, it's, it's the dukkha awareness, so it can be heartful as well. Most dukkha is experienced in the heart. So there's a place in the heart, or citta, which doesn't move, and doesn't crave, and doesn't resist, but it's often obscured. We don't notice it, because we're concerned with stability, happiness, comfort, progress. There's a place which doesn't progress and doesn't decline. And this is subtle, uh, but it requires training. And often the training is, first of all, um, resisting the compulsive habits and then building up barami, uh, qualities, virtues, habitual virtues, if you like, that take you towards places where the stability is through the heart rather than through the world. And this, then you begin to center yourself in the heart. And through that, you begin to, it's in here, it's in this, where the suffering can end, do can end. And it can be like that, you know. You practice patience, for example. And patience, first of all, starts as, well, I can bear this for five minutes. But you're still waiting for it to end. That's not complete patience. So I'm patient enough, says, I'll be strong. That's still not complete patience because you want to be something. (laughs) The real patience is this can go on and I've given up. I don't have to be anything. And then that, you see, what's that? What's that? You know, it's not a person. It's not somebody who's strong. It's just nobody there. 
Yeah. So we, these are transcendent, you know, transcending qualities. Uh, there's a path. Qualities are definitely um, things we can do, and things we can cultivate, and things we can name. This is patience, this is goodwill, this is so forth. But where they go to, you can't really name it. And you can't really claim it as anybody. It's just empty and open. And this is where the suffering stops. But for most people, we have to just bear that in mind. Because most people have to develop, if you like, a skillful self. You know, a person who's skillful. That's the first stage, rather than a person who's unskillful. <laughs> a person who's skillful. Then a person who's skillful begins to be recognized. This isn't really a person. This is just skillfulness. This is the mind being skillful. Yeah, so that's the next bit. You have this, then the skillful qualities. Yeah? And then with skillful qualities, you begin to realize still there's the dukkha which comes from wanting to succeed. And eventually, it doesn't matter whether I succeed or not. This is skillful because it's beautiful. And there's no asking for a result. And then the mind begins to gradually let go of time, future, and result. The result, of course, is karma. We're still interested in karma and fascinated by karma. What will become, what will be. And then we begin to recognize this still is dukkha. This still is suffering. Uh, get off it. Uh, this this is, takes a lot of maturity. A lot of maturity. Can you um, explain the difference between causes and conditions? If there are different, uh, if there is a difference. Well, there is, there is a slight difference. Causes are probably more dynamic and conditions are more, more structural. So you might say, I have a physical condition. I live within the physical condition, which is this. And so that, that sort of sets, that sets where I live. And being in that physical condition, I am therefore subject to the causes of pain, which therefore activate. You know, so... They're not entirely separate, but we can say I live in the, the physical condition, uh, so it means, therefore I'm subject to these causative processes. Yeah. So conditions are much more like, you know, like the, that, the temperature of the room is a condition. The cause is uh, you know, uh, not warm enough or not cold enough. But we always live within conditions. And any number of causes can occur within, can arise within those, those conditions. Right? So, for example, you may uh, live in a so live in a shared situation where, say, the temperature is twenty-four degrees, and for some people that's a condition for comfort, a cause for comfort. For other people, it's uncomfortable. Essentially, it's the same condition, <laughs> but it's creating different causal causal effects. But any condition is prone to experience causes and effects. 
they change. <coughs> Sorry? Mental conditions is generally mean the um, vipaka or the inherited mental attitudes and atmospheres called vipaka or old karma. So we arise, as we arise, we arise within a certain mental condition, a mental domain, which is associated with thought and emotion. Yeah? Uh, and, the, and that mental domain will also be conditioned by the family and by the society in which we live and by the various karma that's been activated. So we arise as the mental condition of a person. Yeah? That becomes our, our world, you could see, our mental world is, the, is that condition. And then within that, there can be causes of um, desire, aversion, um, identification, and so forth. Long Paul, in your talk just now, you said we should reflect what is needed now. How do we apply that medicine? And sometimes in your talk, it sounds like what's needed now is bearing with it. But other times, what's needed now is actually applying metta or other skillful means. Can you tell us more about the doing what's needed and having sati to steady it? What's needed now? Generally, you see, the first thing that's needed is a pause, uh, called apamada, which means heedfulness, means, wait a minute. So the first thing that's needed is to, is to come out of the momentum of where the mind is going. Does that make sense? So we've got a particular mental activity, or physical activity, or emotional activity, and it's rolling along. The first thing that's needed is just stop. Lift off, you could say. Get off the bus. Don't follow the momentum. Stop. Check. That's the first thing that's needed. Second thing that's needed is get full awareness of what's happening, what's important, what's happening now in the heart. Could be what's happening is feeling very busy. Uh, could be what's happening is um, confusion. Could be what's happening is um, anxiety. For example, okay, that's what it feels like. So, what's needed? Uh, calm is needed, right? Okay, so then, where is that calm comes into the bo- from the body? Then the calm comes from the body. You know, the mind has no foundation other than its own fashionings and imaginations. So when we seek to come out of the mental habit, the mental activity, we refer to the body. So what's happening in my arms, my face, my feet? That gives a foundation for calm. Yeah? So... uh, you know, uh, and then when you get that foundation, then you've got something to refer to. So it's, oh, what, what's really happening now is uh, anxiety about the future. And then 
So what's needed now is just to pause in the present. What's happening now is constant complaining, criticizing, finding fault with myself and others. Ah, what's needed now is relax, generate your goodwill. So the most important thing that's always needed is that which gives us a firm foundation. Just constantly rocking around. Does that make sense? And what gives you a firm foundation is to pause, lift your attention from the mental preoccupation, find where your body is, find the fullness of your body, your feet, your breath, use that as a foundation, a reference point, and then you can then return to the mental habit from a fresh perspective. And that you don't know. You have to wait. You can't plan it. You have to wait until you find the foundation. Then from that foundation of firmness and groundedness, then you can, then wisdom can arise, rather than just an opinion. What's really needed now is and it's always fresh. It's never something you have figured out in your head. It's always a fresh response. And it's sometimes, you think it's so obvious that you I remember one time I was cultivating this and somebody what's really important? What's really important? And I think what's really important? what's really, really, really important? What's really important right now? And then as I sat there trying to figure out what was really important, I could feel my body getting tenser and tenser. And then it said, what's really important now is relax. Oh yeah, of course. (laughs) Stop trying to figure out what's important. With your head, it's not going to get you there. Your head doesn't get you there. <laughs> the mind doesn't know how to relax. It only knows how to get more agitated and more agitated. So you come into your body, your body says, well, you're, you're stressing yourself, stop it. Oh, that's what's needed. <laughs> and it's so obvious. But our mental habits get so complicated that they they take us away from something that's very obvious. Neroda, in a way, is very obvious. Cessation of suffering is so obvious. But we're so complicated, we don't see it. We're so busy doing something, and planning something, and figuring something out, we don't see the simple, or reach the button, which is just stop doing that. (laughs) That's what you need. (laughs) And where can you find that button? Where can you find that? That's what meditation's about. You can get understanding, you get the idea, but to really find where the stop button is, you've got to meditate. Nobody else can tell you where it is. So we shall end the question and answer session now.
Brothers and sisters, uh, let us uh, show our appreciation and gratitude to Lon Po Sujito for sharing with us the invaluable teachings of the Buddha by saying sadhu sadhu three times.